Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is supported this week by Pestex Pest Control. Ben with Pestex sprays my house every few months and just came over a couple of weeks ago. Pestex is locally owned, they use pet-friendly products, and most importantly, they don't have a one-size-fits-all approach. They evaluate every customer's pest problem and then find the best way to solve it. So summer fleas, ticks, and mosquitoes will last deep into the fall, so that means there's still time to get control of them. To get in touch, call or text 806-433-8841 or look up Pestex on Facebook or Instagram. That's 806-433-8841. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Griffin Wink Advertising, online at griffinwink.com, Ascension Academy, online at ascensionacademy.org, and to Education Credit Union, online at educationcu.com. You can read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm's new September-October issue at brickandelm.com or pick it up at a newsstand near you. Today's guest is Skylar Gallup. Skylar has one of those career reinvention stories, which I always find super interesting. And she comes out of the media world, which I also identify with. Skylar is a WT grad who went on to work as a television news reporter and anchor in another Texas market. And so we talk about that experience. But today, she's the regional advocacy director for the entire panhandle for the nonprofit Raise Your Hand Texas, which supports public education, especially on the public policy side. Now, there's a lot of complexity in that world, practically and politically, and I think you'll find Skylar's take on things to be pretty interesting. So here's Skylar Gallup. Skylar Gallup, welcome to the Hey Marillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Hey, Jason. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to have you. And I want to start with you the same way I start with all my guests. And that's just to ask you why you're here. So how did you end up in the Amarillo area? Yeah, so I was raised in Seminole, Texas, which is a bit south of Lubbock. So very much a West Texas girl Mm -hmm. at heart. When it was time for me to graduate high school and head to college, I got a scholarship for theater at WT. Theater. Theater, yes. From there, I I went through my education at WT, ended up graduating uh, with a broadcasting degree and moved to San Angelo for my first reporting job. From there, I worked in TV. I was a news anchor and reporter for uh, a handful of years and loved it. Was the most incredible, wonky, interesting experience. I'm so, I always say I am equally as glad that I did it as I am that I am no longer doing it. (laughs) I understand that. Yeah. And then it was, uh, it was time for us to get out of the news biz and move home. And uh, when I asked myself where home was, it was Amarillo. Okay. Yeah. That's that's interesting to me because, you know, Seminole is closer to Lubbock in Mm -hmm. terms of big cities. Mm -hmm. I guess you could have gone to tech. You probably had a lot of friends that went to tech. Why, why did you choose WT, uh, which is a little bit further? Was it just the theater scholarship? I mean, was that enough or did you have your, your eyes set on WT prior to that? 
You know, WT uh, recruited me really effectively, to be honest. I started going to WT speech and theater camp in high school as a freshman. I went all four years. So they, you know, and in retrospect, when I think about, you know, um, our public education and higher education spaces, they just did a really good job of getting out into rural communities and uh, creating a home for me, which is exactly what they did. I had, um, I was familiar with the campus. The the first time I stepped on WT's campus. I was a freshman in high school, went mm-hmm. uh, every year after that. And then uh, it was Royal Brantley who recently retired from okay. WT's theater department, uh, just effectively recruited me to where WT was a place I wanted to go. And, you know, the university has only improved in the years since I went there, but I just had precisely the experience I was looking for in my higher education home. You know, Seminole small WT has that small town Mm -hmm. community feel, uh, but received an excellent education, both in the theater department, my short stint there, and then certainly when I moved over to the broadcasting department, I just graduated ready to go to work. Tell me, what's the time frame? When did you graduate from WT? 2010. Okay. And so I want to hear a little bit about your career in uh, broadcast news. Um, because I know 2010, um, kind of right in the middle of a lot of changes in the industry yeah. as some of the stations started, you know, streamlining things. And so instead of having a camera person, camera <laughs> operator and a reporter, you know, the reporter's doing all that stuff together and editing your own stuff and everything. Tell me what that was like. Like, did the reality of getting a job, did it compare to kind of what you thought you were getting into as a broadcast major? Gosh, I don't know that I knew what I thought I was getting into, getting into news. Uh, Like I mentioned, my first job was in San Angelo. So the way that um, TV news works anyway in this country is it's based on markets. There Mm -hmm. are 215 markets. San Angelo is 197. Okay. (laughs) And they're listed by size, right? So it's like almost the smallest news market. And so you're talking about an environment where there is very, very, very little budget, a whole lot of turnover. It's a stepping stone. To it the is next it is your starter market. job. And it was just it was just nuts, man. We would just, you know, San Angelo, we were in the middle of a drought. San Angelo is a wonderful community. I loved working there and living there. Middle of a really, really serious drought. And we did a lot of wildfire coverage. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember being, gosh, I was like 23. And my news director would just like hand me a camera and the keys to the crappy news car and say like, you've got to get really close to fire for it to translate on the camera, Skylar, (laughs) bring back something good. And then I would just go drive in the brush of the Concho Valley and get as close as I could to fire. By myself, you uh-huh. know what I mean? Uh, There's not a class you can take that sort no, of shows you how to do that. It, no. Uh, and then also, you know, news happens everywhere. Uh, and that that's a really interesting kind of dynamic when you're sitting in such a small market at the very beginning of your career is, you know, just just a little bit into my career as a journalist, very, very wet behind the ears. And there's a lot to learn yeah. um, outside of the classroom. You know, we reported on some 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 really big things, you know, the Warren Jeffs and the FLDS raids, sure. um, you know, which was just a Netflix documentary. I think everybody is watching. Um, those trials happened. We had a, a really unfortunate child disappearance case that, you know, all of a sudden we're talking live to Nancy Grace and I've been, you know, on the job for six months. And wow. um so it was also just, it was it was just all around a really interesting experience and you know you you mentioned the industry changing 
And I always say like, man, I wish I could have worked in TV in the 80s. You know what I mean? When journalists had all day to honestly get their stories straight, right? And I felt it even, you know, even working in local news, uh, which I think was pretty free of... Um, some of the polarization that we see now on media. Like I think that local TV news, because newspapers are are taking such a hit, I think local TV news is like the last stand mm-hmm. um, for good journalism. And even in my time, it was, and I got to work in good newsrooms with really good, solid leadership. But even in my time, the pressure to first not correct, you know what I mean? I could feel that. And in in breaking news situations, what you know at that moment as a fact changes. Sure. And I'll tell you one of the things that really started me searching of whether I needed to stay in TV or not was when we saw the um, Dallas police shooting coverage. And, you know, I was working in Tyler at the time. So an hour away, we had crews there. And I remember sitting in the newsroom producing the 10 o'clock show that I was going to go in and anchor and if you'll remember, that ended up in a standoff. The The shooter ended up in a parking garage, mm-hmm. I think, in downtown Dallas. And, you know, there was a standoff situation for quite a while. And we got a call uh, from Dallas police. And I'm sure that our station was not the only one to receive the call. But the police said, you guys live coverage on Twitter is giving away tactical advantage. We have reason to believe the shooter is watching coverage. Hmm. And I just remember thinking about, you know the idea of do no harm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, because of this, you know, hyper connected and real time world that we live in, we're doing harm here. And so it was just, just, just real different than the family sitting around at the six o'clock news. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's an area where newsrooms and the whole industry is having to reckon with, you know, the way that technology has changed because it used to just be, there was a a 30 minute report at six o'clock, another one at 10 and that was the news. And now it's broadcast 24 hours a day. It's on Twitter. Like everything is thrown at the audience to try to, number one, report what's happening, but also to capture the eyeballs and readers and all that stuff. And so, yeah, it, it does run the risk of, you know, the, the news teams becoming part of the story. And you don't want that to happen. Yeah. You want to share the truth, but you don't want to get in the way of that. And yeah. that's, that's a challenge. And that's just talking about local challenges. Yeah, you know? exactly. exactly. Goodness, goodness, uh, okay, so so you you start to think, okay, um, maybe I'm not long for this world. Yeah. You found your way back to Amarillo, but did you have an idea of what you're going to do? I mean, you had some theater experience, you had this broadcast experience, but you're not doing either of those things. And so how do you how do you build a career after that point? Yeah, uh, and I think you'll find through this conversation, I have a I have a wonky path of twists and turns, you know. And and sometimes I question because you know, like I talk to my mom all the time. I'm like, Mom, I don't know what I'm going to do after this, or I don't know what I'm going to be doing in 15 years. Um, and it causes me like a good amount of anxiety and mm-hmm. and kind of what I have to trust. And it's kind of just become my little mantra is like, sharpen your skill set. And align yourself with good people. Okay. And if you do that, I hope this will continue to serve me well. It has so far. But I think uh, doing that, you'll find good places to work. And so that's what when when I got out of news and moved home, I didn't have a job. I was driving around town and it had been 
I guess, eight years since I'd lived here getting, you know, my undergrad at WT. I moved, I worked in news for eight years. Okay. Uh, so, you know, there were a lot of changes and uh, I was just kind of trying to figure out like where, where or what organization might be able to use whatever my skill set is. Right. And I saw uh, Town Square. And sure. I was like, those are some big buildings that weren't here whenever I lived yeah, here last. Probably was relatively new, I guess, when you got here. <laughs> yes, yeah. And so I, uh, you know, just Googled, like, what is this place? And called a number and found the leasing office to Town Square. And I said, can I please speak to your marketing director? And the the sweet lady at the le- leasing office was like, oh, gosh, I don't think we have one. And I was like... Excellent. <laughs> uh, and I said, can you just transfer me to the highest person in this company that you're able to transfer me to? And uh, from there, I uh, met Perry Williams and his sons, okay. Seth and the Noah. The highest people in the company. Yeah. That's right. Um, I had to. She, she didn't quite transfer okay, me to Perry's didn't just office. Send you right to Perry Williams. <laughs> That's right. I, I had to do, do some in work there. But uh, so I met that wonderful family, went to work for them doing. Gosh, I think we started out as marketing director, probably. Uh, it's right as the apartments were coming online. We were opening Verger in final stages okay. of construction for Verger. So I got to do some really, really fun operational des- and design work, brand work for Verger, which I love very much. Got to do some work with the apartments and then also some commercial stuff and planned their events for a while. Did some, I, I very much became a jack of all trades. And and in you know retrospect, looking at my professional path. That was such a wonky sidestep at the time, but rounded out what I had been missing in um, for-profit work. Okay. Because I had done some, I'd done some campaign work, I'd done the journalism, you know, and, and so then I got to really look at marketing from a, from a profit standpoint. Right. And so I really, really loved my time with the Williams and just had a lot of fun. You know what I mean? Like we planned the big Christmas parties that they have at Town Square with the big lighting of the tree right. and uh, just really had a great time. And that was an, a really exciting period um, because so many things were happening. Like yeah. there's a lot of growth, a lot of ex- excitement about that development and how, you know, the, the kind of life it was introducing there. I can imagine that uh, that it gave you a lot of opportunities to just kind of dream big about yes. stuff. Yeah, it was fun. And uh, dream big is a very appropriate, um, I think, statement to make for the Williams and the work that they do in Southwest Amarillo. I, I mean, one summer I ended up running the restaurant at the pool at Verger oh, and managing okay. that stuff. The first season that the pool was open, I mean, it was nuts, but we right. had our general manager walk out like a week before opening. So it was me also. <laughs> and the pool was not open when Verger opened. And so there was a lot of anticipation it for was, that summer with it. Yeah, it was, it was nuts. <laughs> I had a real fun time with them. It was great. Okay, so you're, you're speaking of that job also as past tense. So yeah. give me an idea of where you have ended up since then. Yeah, so I found myself working for the Williams. And, you know, like I said, I, I love the Williams. I really enjoyed my time. And it was really beneficial, I think, for, for both um, sides of the table. Um, but I did... Have a, I felt a calling to wanting to go back to kind of service-based work. Okay. You know, in news, you're, you know, you're, you're the fourth estate and you're doing a thing. And like some of my reporting uh, influenced legislation that was passed and, um, and the for-profit was a, was a great experience, but I did feel called to go back um, to kind of service-based. And, you know, like I said earlier, I think that uh, the universe aligns and, and uh, leads you, if you're putting, putting good things out into it, leads you where you're supposed to go. 
and a high school friend of mine that I competed against in speech sent me a Facebook message one day Hmm. out of the blue and said, I don't know where you are, what you're doing, but this is my sister organization and uh, it sounds like you. And that was a job posting for what we now know as the regional advocacy directors for Raise Your Hand Texas. So I said, gosh, that does sound interesting and went, uh, went along Went through that door, mm-hmm. and that's that's my current day job. You didn't have to ask, you know, direct me to the highest person in this organization. And I did let not. Me talk to. I did not, and it's a the highest person in that organization is an interesting one. Well, so. for for <laughs> listeners who are not aware of the work of Raise Your Hand Texas, give sure. us an idea of of what you do and and why it's important. Yeah. So Raise Your Hand Texas is a pro public education advocacy and policy organization. Okay. Uh, It's a whole mouthful, but basically uh, we exist to support our state's public education system. We are fully funded by Charles Butt, who's the CEO of HEB Groceries. Uh, So he comes fully out of his... He's the B in HEB. He is, yes. His dad is actually the whole whole name. But yeah, Charles Butt um, fully funds our work across the state. (laughs) And worth noting, we are only one part of his philanthropic givings around public education in the state. So what uh, Raise Your Hand does is we make sure that we're supporting our public schools and making sure that the legislation that is passed that affects our public schools is, in fact, uh, also in support of those schools and the educators, administrators that that do the good work every day. So, you know, Amarillo is is a place, Canyon too, where the public schools are very strong. Yeah. Like, like it, it's not one of these places where everybody's sending their kids to a private school because they don't want to be in the public schools. And, and so, you know, locals may not fully realize why an organization like this is necessary. Why do you need somebody to advocate for public schools? Why would the Butt family, you know, give so much money for this, you know, this uh, initiative? And so kind of explain like, like why that work is important and, and what kind of stuff that you're doing. Sure. So I'll answer that question first, kind of with the statewide lens and then look at the panhandle okay. specifically if I can. So statewide, when you look at our public education system, it's just a really, really big system with a lot of kiddos, a lot of campuses, a lot of districts, uh, a whole bunch of money uh, at stake. Mm -hmm. So anytime you say money, we're going to get politics and we're going to we're going to get power plays involved. And it's so worth supporting, you know, uh, 5.8 million kids call Texas public schools their educational home. And it's a really, really diverse 5.8 million kiddos, right? Um, Their needs run the gamut. And so, you know, our calling is kind of that the future of Texas is in our public schools. Uh, We want to make sure that um, our future economy, our future workforce, our future citizens and humans are, um, you know, have been prepared in the best public school situations that they can. And there's also a lot of challenge. There are a lot of people uh, that would, you know, wish to see our public schools structured differently or perhaps not structured at all. Hmm. You know, there's there's a, a lot of people that would like to, you know, one of our big issues is around vouchers. So the, the issue is where taxpayer money um, would follow a student should a family 
family choose to send their kiddos to private schools, um, which, you know, we, we are super supportive of school choice and parent choice, um, and that already exists. Our issue around, around vouchers is just that we think that um, public dollars should remain in public schools. Okay. So that's, um, you know, that's one of our big charges. Funding. Um, we believe that the state should fund our public schools more fully, um, as opposed to, you know, our taxpayer, our property tax dollars, um, kind of bearing bearing that burden. So uh, we, we do a lot of work around the state share of funding. And then just supporting the work that our schools are called to do. Uh, it's an increasingly challenging environment to be an administrator, to be a teacher, you know, there's a lot of conversation right now about teacher retention. Mm -hmm. And, you know, are we going to have these professionals uh, in 10 or 15 years if we if we don't start really leaning into them and, um, you know, asking them how we can best support them. Uh, teachers are called to do so many things in the classroom these days. And at the end of the day, Man, teachers will do it because they're angel rock stars, right? right? They're dedicated. They'll do it. Uh, but I think the question is, should we have to ask them to? Right. And so a lot of the stories recently have been about rural districts moving to four-day weeks because they have a teacher shortage. They haven't been able to retain those teachers. And well, that impacts people here in the Panhandle. Absolutely. And that's a perfect example of our, our school districts are incredibly innovative around solving their challenges, right? Um, and so, you know, if you leave that up to a school district and a school board, they're going to look at their staff. They're going to talk to their people because they're in their town. And they're going to say, what do we need? Um, you know, rural schools have a have a really, really critical challenge around filling their open positions. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a perfect example of really, really great innovation from a small school of saying like, okay, we've got to keep people, how are we going to incentivize our workforce, right? Like, right. that's, that's every, you know, any, any um, employer deals with that, you got to incentivize people to stay. Um, so I, I think we're seeing that a lot. It just, again, goes to the basic question of like, should we have to ask them to do that? Sure. And so you talked about the statewide work. I know that that your your focus is here in the Panhandle, and I I, I wanted to see if if you could maybe talk about what the challenges are here in the Panhandle that maybe are different from the rest of the state. Maybe some of the things that public schools are doing better here mm -hmm. in the Panhandle. I know there's there's often this idea that that we get forgotten, you know, by all the bureaucrats in Austin and, and the people making the decisions. And I, I wonder, like, what you've sort of discovered in the last few years. I appreciate the the comments about the sentiment that we get forgotten because it's one of the favorite thing. My favorite things about my job is that I get to represent right. rural Texas. You in make Austin. sure that doesn't happen. That's right. I get to speak up and say, "Hey, that's actually not how that bill or whatever is being felt in Pampa ISD." You know, uh, and being a small town girl, and I will soapbox all day on rural representation because I I, I want to see us. I, you know, I I want to be able to. Uh, look back and and see what we love about this area in 20 years. And, and that's really um, at risk, I think. So mm -hmm. I, I feel a lot of passion in that work specifically. Man, rural areas with public education are so great to work in. 
they have their challenges. Staffing is one of them for sure. Um, but they're, you know, public schools are the centers of our communities. Um, you know, even in relatively larger towns like Amarillo or Lubbock, because my region is kind of the panhandle to include Lubbock and um, and down south a little bit further than that. But we love our schools and, you know, we love our teachers and our school board members. And um, it's it's really, really fun to work in a positive political environment. Okay. <laughs> our legislators as well, you know, uh, our work is on the state level. So we work with our, our state senators and representatives and they're great. They're public education advocates. So wonderful. <laughs> it makes my job, you know, as opposed to, because kind of the nuts and bolts of my job are to be able to mobilize people in my region um, around, you know, a piece of legislation or an issue and em- empower people okay. to pick up the phone and, you know, call so-and-so's office and express your support or lack thereof of a thing, you know, so I, I work in communities to mobilize them to reach out to their elected officials. And it's really cool because a lot of times I get to say, hey, you know, Representative Price just did us a great big favor and and really took a a courageous vote on behalf of public education. Give them a call and say thank you, Hmm. you know, um, and and to kind of be able to, to, to provide that appreciation and cover for our representatives who are fighting the fights for us in Austin, you know? Um, So that's one of the things I'm incredibly appreciative of is that I I get to work with really good legislators uh, that, that really care about public education. So you cover a pretty broad area geographically. Do I you do. have to? Tra- I mean, do you travel a lot as part of your job? Are you always going to some of these school districts and talking to teachers, administrators, all those things? Yeah, everybody. Anytime somebody asks me where I office, I'm like, it's in my car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, yeah, I put a lot of miles on my car and listen to a lot of podcasts and take a lot of work phone calls while I'm driving. But also, you know, like I've mentioned a couple times, I love this area. So I love getting getting out of town and, and taking a road trip, you know, to Canadian, which is so beautiful, sure. or down, you know, kind of back to my roots where it's cotton fields and stuff down south of Lubbock. So I really enjoy it. Having grown up, you know, south of Lubbock and then spending so much time driving the, the roads of the Texas Panhandle, have you learned something you know, just about the people who live in this area? And is it different from the people who live on the South Plains? We like to think of ourselves as a little bit different from Lubbock here in Amarillo. And I wonder as somebody from that area, if that's accurate. Yeah, there, there, are, there are differences. I think, you know, I look at things from a political lens. Amarilloans and Panhandle people are Obviously, you know, you can look at our voting record to prove very, very Republican, very, very conservative. And I don't think that'll ever change. But we are surprisingly pragmatic. Hmm. And I think we work really, really well in our communities. And I think in other areas of the state, populations have maybe fallen to some of the bigger uglier statewide rhetoric that we see in state and nationwide rhetoric that we see. And I don't feel that as much here. One of the things that I really enjoy about working in public education is it is nonpartisan. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of our biggest allies are elected from 98% voting Republican districts 
And as is true with some of our biggest democratic allies, um, public education really is kind of a unicorn issue. Sure. Um, and that's just, f- frankly, a really lovely breath of fresh air in politics today, um, is that we're nonpartisan and we've got to stay nonpartisan to be able to do the work. So, uh, you know, at, at Raise Your Hand, we talk a lot about working in the middle of the room. And the panhandle and Amarillo wins. <laughs> Uh, is that way too? Mm-hmm. It feels more pragmatic. It's it's frankly why we've got some really we've kept some really really solid legislators in place. Um, you know, Senator Kel Seliger, who just retired and and was a huge loss to the state Senate. It's been said that he was kind of the last of the middle of the room Republicans to walk out and. Amarillo kept, well, the the district, right. you know, the panhandle right. is who kept sending him back to, to Austin on our behalf. Um, and so that's something that I really, really appreciate, especially when it's a population that I'm advocating on behalf of, is that when you look around the state, it's kind of some of some of the ugliness, while it exists here, I think has been staved off a little bit more successfully than in other areas. And I uh, hold that at, at great value. I think that's a, a really good point. Probably not something that people think about very often uh, because we do see the voting record and it's easy to just assume well, this is a, a really partisan place. But Seliger is correct. Representative Smithy, yeah. Representative Price. I mean, both of both those great. guys have reputations for working across the aisle, for not being hyper-partisan. Um, and so that that is interesting that, you know, the, the individuals who represent this area maybe are reflections of that mindset here. Yeah, they're great. They're great legislators. And we're the ones that keep voting to send them back. So you, you mentioned that when you decided to get out of the news industry, you decided to go home and Amarillo was home. And I, I wonder if we could close a section by you explaining how that happened. Why does this part of the world, this part of Texas feel more like home for you? Well, one is actually kind of uh, a just very practical demographic challenge that a lot of small towns are facing. Everybody moved away from Seminole. Hmm. My family doesn't live there anymore. My friends, my people weren't there anymore. Okay. Uh, and while I loved, I mean, I was the product of, of Seminole ISD, which is a stellar school district. Um, really, really enjoyed my experience growing up there It wasn't a place for me to return to. My people were up here. Uh, You know, I came up to school with a couple of best friends of mine. Um, My my kiddos' families are here. Uh, So this was just the place. Additionally, like I said, um, I think I just identify a little bit better with Amarillo. And that was the work of WT, Mm -hmm. um, you know, really creating that home for me whenever, uh, when I was at college here in university. And this is what I wanted to come back to. This week's podcast is supported by the communication department at West Texas A&M University. WT offers nationally recognized degree programs in digital media, digital journalism, communication studies, advertising, public relations, and a fully online strategic communication emphasis. Now, so many media professional friends of mine, people like Jackie Kingston, Andy Justice, Wilson Lemieux, Wendy Swope, they're all products of this program. So is my daughter, Ellie. In fact, so is Skylar Gallup, my guest for today's show. 
The campus radio station KWTS 91.1 The One is at the heart of this department and KWTS is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year at WT's homecoming. That's on October 1st and at that event you'll hear KWTS alumni on the radio from 2 to 6 p.m. There's going to be a live remote setup in the tailgating area near the stadium. It's going to be a fun day. To learn more, check out wtamu.edu slash the one. That's T-H-E-O-N-E. Okay, I'm back with Skylar Gallup. Skylar, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon on the WT campus. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and in addition to its collections, it now offers a variety of great resources for educators, including its new interactive STEAM lab. Uh, STEAM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts, and Mathematics, as I'm sure you know, and it offers learning opportunities hands-on for all ages. You can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, so first question, when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? Gosh, that gets really aspirational for me. So what we haven't talked about is a side of Raise Your Hand and the work that I do for them. I do a lot of community work, and so I I really dig in. Um, So I think a lot about Amarillo in 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I hope that in 10 years, we will see some measurable movement around some of the bigger issues facing Amarillo, uh, you know, my brain, brain goes to the work around educational attainment Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, pairing the kiddos that we're raising up and educating with jobs for that education, as well as around some of the demographic challenges that we're facing. Okay. There's a, there's a lot of work being done and that has been being done around those. Um, and I guess I should back up the problem, the bigger problem that I'm and a whole lot of other people are looking at is we're losing people, right? So we're raising wonderful children, putting them through excellent public education systems, giving them wonderful educational experiences at WT and Amarillo College. And they, you know, get that diploma in hand and are ready to go be amazing humans and professionals and money makers. And they take that degree to Dallas. Yeah. And that's not sustainable, obviously, right? Additionally, kind of tangentially of that issue is that we're bringing employers in, we're we're building factories and bringing in, you know, the AADC has been knocking it out of the park um, with some really, really great projects coming to Amarillo. And we need to be training people for those jobs, right? Yeah. And so that's a, those are really critical issues. And if we're not building a better Amarillo tomorrow, so that, I mean, I'm a prime example of it, right? I went out, sowed my wild oats being a reporter, and then it was time to like get real about making some money and home was Amarillo. That needs to be the experience of more people, um, more, you know, it's brain drain is what Mm -hmm. we refer to it as. And there's work being done around that. I'm incredibly thankful for the people in my life who are are passing along institutional knowledge about like how to affect measurable change um, because you know none of us are the first people to do this, right? And I always say that Amarillo is big enough to have 
real problems, but small enough to affect change around those problems, right? Okay. Okay. Um, it's a place where you you can make a difference uh, without getting lost. And so I, I hope in 10 years, uh, the work that has been done, is being done, and will continue to be done has moved the needle and that we're still pushing it, that we're measuring that work constantly, you know, sitting back down at the table with all the stakeholders saying, what's next, what's next, what's next? Okay. That's a good answer. Thank you. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? Gosh, uh, convenience stores and car washes. Okay. I am continually in awe. I say all the time, I, I worry that maybe in 10 years, that's what Amarillo will be. Just like one okay. giant combo convenience store and car wash. And look, like I'm a fan of a convenience store like the next girl, but I just, it amazes me that the market supports that many. Yeah. I, I, I've lived here all my life. And so I don't, I don't notice the convenience stores <laughs> as often because they've been on every corner in Amarillo since I was thing. a kid. Toot and Totem has <laughs> a huge footprint. But I think you're right about the car washes and that every new building seems to be a car wash. And yes, it's a dirty place. You know, we, we get dusty yeah. cars. Uh, I guess we, we have the vehicle traffic to sustain that. Yeah, you know, they're not like incredibly environmentally friendly. That's true. That's true. So I don't know. I also get very excited every time I see a new construction project. I'm like, what are they building? Yeah. It's like car wash. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. How is this supported by the marketplace? But I guess it's supported. So, you know. It, it, it has it. to work financially, I guess. <laughs> okay. What does this area not have enough of? So on that, I would say engaged citizens who are informed in their opinions and do something with that. Okay. Yeah. I think everybody's got an opinion, which is great. I mean that. I mean, I mean, everybody's like the Facebook opinion, right? That's great. Start with that. An opinion means that you care about something. Take that opinion, inform it, mm -hmm. and then go use it. You know, whatever you, everybody cares about the water sitting in their gutter or the flooding on Western or where our tax dollars are going or how we're teaching our kids, right? Everybody's got an opinion and that's wonderful. Learn about it. Go to your city council meeting, go to your school board meeting, go get on a city committee, start serving some nonprofits. Um, but then the key is, you know, ask those questions, but listen to the answers, right? All right. Um, so I'm a big I, I actually think that that's kind of one of the challenges that our population faces is um, complacency. I've been lucky enough to really firsthand experience um, what it feels like when you get to make a difference in your community and it's empowering and uh, it's catching, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's contagious and people care about this town and care about the future of it. And I, what we don't have enough of is action. Okay. After that. All right. I think that's that's a great point. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? I describe it as home, which is funny because I, I hadn't anticipated um, talking as much about about that definition for me in this, and and I've enjoyed it. I think probably I tell people. 
it's a great place that's like doing some cool things. <laughs> you know, I was pleasantly surprised when uh, when I moved back to see, you know, it changed a lot, of course, in mm-hmm. the eight years that I was gone to see like some breweries yeah, and some murals downtown, you know, like we've got some good food going on and like some food trucks. <laughs> um, so I think, uh, you know, and, and tying it back to, we need more of that to keep people here yeah, to keep the next generation. Quality you know, of life stuff. For sure. I've got friends that work high level HR and, you know, that's their whole job or like, you know, the AEDC, you know, trying, I work with a young leadership development um, organization, Elevate Amarillo. And, you know, we need more of that stuff to keep people here um, so that we're not moving to Dallas or, or even kind of an extension so that we're not going to Dallas and spending all of our money. Right. Sure. So the, the kind of, kind of both issues, but yeah, I think it's a, uh, a good place that's that's got some cool stuff going on. Okay. What's your favorite Amarillo neighborhood? Several things are bouncing around in my brain about that. Um, so when I think of a community organizer, I think Los Barrios okay. and the work that they do. Uh, if I'm thinking of it like a foodie, I think kind of like up along the boulevard in North Heights, right? All right. Gosh, aesthetically, I don't think you can beat Wolflin mm-hmm. during the holidays with the lights. But I, I have to land um, in my own neighborhood, and it's for purely selfish reasons. So I live down off of 58th and Georgia in Fox Ridge. Okay. And I am infinitely blessed with a small tribe of families. <laughs> Funny, it came out of COVID, actually, you know, when all of our our blessed sweet little children were home with us for so long. Um, Our little cul-de-sac just banded together and took care of each other and tossed kids back and forth when I had to get on a Zoom or she had to go do this or he had to go do that. And it just stuck. And it's been the most, I mean, it is the experience of what, you know, we, we've we now come to define as like a tribe, right? Sure. Uh, and it's because of that neighborhood. It's just the, the perfect little size and um, wonderful people. And I my neighbors don't get mad when my kids have Nerf bullets all over their yard. And I'm so appreciative of that. But yeah, my, uh, I, but don't tell anybody because, you know, I don't want everybody moving okay, over there. Okay, yeah, everybody avoid that part of town. That's right. It's but that, awful. That's an interesting story. That, and it's not a story that we tell very often about the pandemic. You mm-hmm. know, often it's about how divisive it was or mm-hmm. how it separated people from their loved ones or their friends. And not about those smaller places where people had to work together out of necessity or, you know, to, to endure it. And yeah. I, I think there are a lot of those stories about people groups, whether it's friends or family that got a lot closer as a result. Yeah. Mine certainly was that experience. All right. You mentioned the boulevard and, and the restaurants and all that stuff. What's your favorite local restaurant? Ooh, I am a cask and cork girl. Okay. I love that place. I'm a little bit biased. Like I said, I worked right. over in town square. So I worked a little bit on that building development and saw them as they were putting it up. They've got, well, the, the food's great. It's consistent. And I'm a foodie. Mm-hmm. And that's somewhere that I'll spend my disposable income. Like I will go out and spend a good amount of money on, a, on you know, dinner and some good wine. Right. Um, but don't be inconsistent. Right. And I think Cask and Court gets it right every time. I love the management. 
Uh, so Don Rhodes, the GM over there, he ran restaurants in Chicago for the longest time, yeah. and we're just dang lucky to have him here. He runs a beautiful team. Speaking of COVID, though, also, you know, they kept their staff on like part time to go cook food and serve. I think they were serving. I'll, I'll probably get the details wrong, so forgive me. But the the the, the heart is accurate. Um, they were able to keep some of their staff on serving like hospital workers, and I think they went to fire departments and stuff. So I just. It's a great hangout spot. It's the best sunset in town um, and really good food. Okay. All right. What's your favorite local coffee shop? That is a very divisive question to ask in this town. <laughs> uh, but I will say, because um, I have no interest in, you know, the coffee makers in town. Uh, so I really like the New Palace in Wolflin. Okay. Georgia, it's right up the road from me. I think it's a great space. And that's that's where you'll find me. Okay. And when was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch? Funny that you should ask. Actually, just, uh, gosh, like three weeks ago. Okay. I know. Um, my sister and brother, and before that, I wouldn't, if not for this one-off experience, I don't know that I would have had an okay. answer for you. Okay. So, <laughs> so that, that was your time then. Yeah. So I'm kind of thankful that I happened to um, have taken my sister and brother-in-law in, um, out there while they were in town. They'd never been before. They've been to Amarillo before, but... Uh, we had some time to kill before they needed to get on the road. And I was like, man, let's go buy some spray paint. Okay. And it was a lovely time. All right. Good. Well, that concludes the eight straight questions. Skylar, I like to end by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would want listeners to know about or to experience? It seems like this may be a theme of this episode, but I would like to endorse finding your thing and getting involved in it. Okay. I do um, a good amount of work. Certainly other people do more, but I get to do some really cool work with nonprofits in town, with organizations in town. And there are so many to choose from. Um, you know, people are as diverse as are the opportunities we've got to work um, in Amarillo. And, you know, if foster care is your thing, let me suggest Amarillo Angels. If local art is your thing, the Amarillo Art Institute's doing some cool things. If you care about taxes, call the city manager and get on a city committee. Um, you know, join your PTA or run for school board or, you know, there are so many things. You know, Elevate Amarillo is a young leaders organization. There's just Call the United Way and ask who they're funding these days. Um, but, you know, a lot of times, Jason, people say that, like, service is one of the most selfish things we can do because you get so much out of it, right? And I experience that so often. But I think today, gosh, just, just what my honest experience has been is, like, when we look at the broad landscape, whether it be statewide issues, federal politics, global challenges, you know, when you look at these big, polarizing, icky, hard to even start thinking about how we can get out of this mess. I find so much peace. And honestly, you know, it's it's overwhelming. It is an overwhelming time. And I find so much peace being able to sit down at night and go, you know what? I ran a campaign that raised X amount of dollars for children experience fo experiencing foster care in Amarillo this month. And I just think that within the context of the world in which we live right now, if you don't know that you can make a difference in your circle, 
allow yourself to learn that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a Mother Teresa quote that is, if you want to change the world, go home and love your kids. And while it's certainly, you know, one vein of that speaks to raising your kids right and changing the world, the other vein, I think, talks to affect change where you can affect it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like identify your spheres of influence, your passion projects, your circles, and get to work. Um, and then just kind of the more people that do that, maybe maybe it'll make those bigger problems feel a little bit more attainable, a little bit less overwhelming and hard to wrap your hands around. But, um, you know, every everybody I talk to, it's just like, man, whatever you care about, Google that plus Amarillo. Yeah. You know what I mean? And call the one that's .org. <laughs> and so see, see what you can get done. Because the answer is, I think, a lot more than the common person thinks they can. All right. Skylar Gallup, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Jason. This was really lovely. And that concludes the episode. Thanks to Skylar for the interview. You can find out more about her organization at raiseyourhandtexas.org. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing this episode and also to sponsors Pestex Pest Control, KWTS The One, and of course, Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the show. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I really do appreciate it. So many people listen on a weekly basis, and I'm just really grateful. This podcast exists because of listeners like you. So thanks for listening. And also because of the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash Amarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jess Heredia, Wilson Lemieux, Jason Burr, Corey Burns, Katie Linger, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Patrick Burns, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 266. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. 